Chapter Eleven of The Flying Stingaree by Harold Goodwin. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Matt Ferrari. Chapter Eleven On the Bottom. There were three wooden cases stored in the full length closet in the houseboat cabin. Rick and Scotty took the two bulkiest to the cockpit and opened them to disclose full skin diving equipment. The boys had made the cases themselves to be carried like suitcases. Each held a single air tank, regulator, mask, fins, snorkel, underwater watch, depth gauge, weight belt, equipment belt, and knife. The third case contained spears and spear guns, but they wouldn't need those in searching for the object that had splashed near the houseboat. While Rick checked the equipment, made sure there was sufficient air in the tanks and put on the regulators scotty searched for a heavy stake and something with which to drive it he found a sledgehammer in steve's workshop at the edge of the woods was a pile of saplings that had been cut to make a fence he chose a sapling that would serve as a stake and took it back to the boat one of the spare lines that the houseboat carried was quarter-inch nylon scotty fastened one end of the small rope to the sapling about halfway up and secured it with a timber hitch then he wound the rope on the sapling as smoothly as possible rick finished checking the equipment and announced that he was ready same here scotty replied let's get into swim trunks as the two changed rick asked suppose we find something but can't get it up without help how do we mark the place scotty paused normally they would simply attach a line to a float and secure the float to the object but a float would attract attention take bearings rick shook his head the boat will be swinging at anchor it might be hard to get good bearings would a piece of fish line work we could tie it to the object carry it to the shore and secure it to something underwater the line would sink Later, we could just drag until we caught the line. It would work, Scotty agreed. There's a new spool of heavy line on the shelf in the closet. Fifty yards. That should do. Especially since the most we would need is fifty feet, Rick agreed. I'll stick it in a belt pocket, just in case. Back on deck, Rick started the houseboat's outboard motors and listened critically. They were operating smoothly. Scotty walked up the pier, and untied the bowline. At Rick's signal, he stepped aboard on the foredeck, bringing the line with him. Rick cast off the stern line, pushed the houseboat away from the pier, then put the motors in gear. The trip to Swamp Creek was a familiar one now. Rick cut corners, knowing he had enough water under the keel, heading directly for the creek entrance. Scotty came back to the cockpit and joined him. Do you suppose Orville Harris will be around? Rick shrugged. It's pretty late for a crabber. He's probably gone by now. I wonder if he'll ever see any flying stingarees come out of the creek. Rick shook his head. Most of the sightings are in the late morning or late afternoon. Only a couple were around dawn. While the houseboat moved across the little chopped tank, Scotty checked the tide tables. He reported that the tide was coming in. It was about one hour from high tide. Rick had been studying the chart. 
no problem he said mean low water averages four feet in the cove with seven feet in the middle think your stake will be long enough scotty had placed the sapling with its winding of rope on the cabin top he estimated its length again depends on how deep the mud is if it's more than three feet the top of the stake will be under water three feet is a lot of mud rick said it's likely a lot less than that he turned into the creek mouth throttling back it would be hard to anchor precisely where the houseboat had been anchored that first night but he was sure they could find the spot within twenty feet scotty went up on the bow and got the anchor ready use about thirty feet of line rick called he took the houseboat to the exact center of the cove as closely as he could estimate then put the motors in reverse to kill the speed when it fell to zero he yelled to scotty scotty lowered the anchor and made it fast then hurried back to join rick who backed off until he felt the anchor dig in it was silent in the cove with the motors off i'll start rick offered and at scotty's nod he picked up his scuba and slipped into the harness his weight belt was next then his fins finally he slipped the mask strap over his head and put the mouthpiece in place he took a couple of breaths to make sure he was getting air then walked to the edge of the cockpit and fell backward into the water letting his tank take the shock of landing he slipped the mask off took the mouthpiece out and spat into the mask to prevent fogging then he rinsed it put it on and replaced the mouthpiece scotty had taken the sapling from the cabin top he handed it to rick who dove with it thrusting the sharpened end into the mud far enough so that the sapling stayed in place rick surfaced again and swam to the boat which had drifted a few feet catching the leg of one motor he pulled the boat back to where the sapling projected above the surface he held the boat in position while scotty took the sledge and drove the sapling down until its top was only a few inches above the water rick tested the pole it was firm he removed the mouthpiece treading water looks okay i'm going to start good luck scotty called rick submerged and swam down using the pole as a guide the rope attached to the pole was perhaps two feet above the bottom he freed the end of the rope unwound a few feet slipped the end through his belt and secured it with a slip knot then hands extended he began the slow work of covering the cove bottom inch by inch searching for the thing that had splashed the boy swam in an ever-widening circle the rope unwinding from the sapling as he moved the unwinding of the line which he kept taut ensured that he would cover new ground each time he rounded the pole but without missing any he couldn't see because his hands stirred up mud as he traveled only his sense of touch told him what was on the bottom he wasn't afraid of grabbing a crab or an eel all underwater creatures with any mobility at all get out of the way as fast as possible he knew the compression wave caused by his movement would warn all living creatures his groping hands identified various pieces of wood all natural and assorted other objects including an old tire there were cans 
some of them food tins that had been opened and some beverage cans recognizable because of their triangular openings once he found a section of fishing pole it was a long tedious job the world closed in on rick and there was only the murk outside his mask and the rhythmic sound of his own breathing only his hands constantly probing the mud were in touch with reality he lost all sense of time once to see how much ground he had covered he pulled himself to the pole by the line estimating his distance he was about fifteen feet from his starting point he returned to the full extent of the line and started the round again after looking at his watch he had to hold it close to see the dial through the murk he had been down only twenty minutes although the time seemed much longer ten minutes later his hands swept over something smooth instantly he turned in toward the pole and swam back around the circle for perhaps ten feet then covering the ground again by crawling along the bottom he felt for the object his fingers touched it his first impression was of something cylindrical but he made no attempt to pick it up he needed to explore it thoroughly first his breathing was faster and he knew his pulse had accelerated at the moment of discovery if this continued he would use air too fast he willed himself to slow his breathing and for a few seconds he stopped altogether in that instant rick heard a slap on the water then another he waited holding his breath there was a pause with more gentle slaps he counted them one two three four the signal for danger he and scotty had long ago agreed that four sounds underwater would be the danger signal he reacted instantly the fishing line was in a pocket on his equipment belt he took it out and pulled line from the spool then probing deeply with one hand he pushed the line under the smooth object reached across and down with the other hand when his hands met he passed the line from one to the other and pulled the line through now it was around the object he tied the line quickly then rolled over on his back and looked upward at the surface he could gauge the position of the sun even though he could see no details using the rays filtering through the murk as a guide he oriented himself which bank he thought quickly danger could only come from the mansion and that was on the south bank he turned and swam north going slowly paying out line from the spool now that he was traveling in a straight line he covered the bottom quickly and in less than a minute he was in shallow water he stopped afraid that his tank would show above the surface it was clearer in the shallows he made out the line of a branch or root of some kind that thrust its way through the surface it would serve quickly he passed the spool around it and made a knot then he pushed the spool itself into the mud and turned now to find the boat again cruising slowly he headed in the general direction rising slightly as he swam finally he found the boat by its shadow and swam under it to the stern again orienting himself by the sun he made sure that the boat would be between him and the south bank he surfaced and pulled off his mask scotty was swabbing the deck of the cockpit as casually as though trouble was the last thing on his mind rick wondered briefly if he had imagined the danger signal or had mistaken some other sound for a signal then scotty hailed him where are all the clams 
rick's mind raced obviously someone was listening was the someone on the boat or ashore i only found one he called back i don't believe there are enough in this cove to bother about no matter what those fishermen said did you dig deep enough scotty asked as deep as i could without a shovel the mud is two feet thick down there well you might as well come aboard i guess if we're going to have clam chowder we'll have to buy clams from a commercial boat scotty wouldn't invite him aboard if there was any danger rick knew he accepted the hand scotty held down and got aboard he surveyed the situation quickly there was no sign of any danger pretty murky down there scotty asked like swimming in ink we'll try again out in deep water it should be clear near the river mouth suits me rick said i never did think we'd find clams in this cove the mana boats dredge in deeper water than this maybe the fishermen didn't want us stirring things up where they clam come on in and i'll fix you some coffee i made it while you were down below okay once inside the cabin scotty said softly two men on the shore one is the bodyguard i've never seen the other one before both of them have rifles rick considered they couldn't possibly know the thing whatever it is dropped in the water here or could they i don't know anyway they're suspicious did you find anything just as you signaled how did you signal by the way with a mop pail four taps with the bottom on the water surface then i filled the pail and began swabbing down rick nodded i don't know what i found a cylinder maybe two inches in diameter maybe less smooth i got the fish line around it and carried the line to the shore we'll have to come back later we certainly will scotty's eyes sparkled but for now let's up anchor and get out of here how about the stake with the rope on it the tide's still coming in it will be completely under the water at high tide we'll have to avoid it and warn harris if we don't get back tonight an idea was beginning to form in rick's mind okay he said let's get going within minutes the houseboat was on its way out of the cove the two boys acting normally as though no one was observing their departure rick saw no one on shore and not until they were sunward from the cove entrance did he see the sparkle of sunlight on binocular lenses scotty had been right as usual End of chapter eleven